Well, good morning. I'm not Brother Nick. <laughs> Probably already knew that. Brother Nick uh, was my pastor for 10 years. Um, Brother Nick asked me to share some things with you this morning, and I told him I normally teach this lesson in about 12 weeks and, and do it in an interactive format. I said, but I can get it down to 30 or 40 minutes, so uh, we'll see what happens. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a true story. Anybody know where uh, Pecos County is? Pecos County is out in West Texas, just south of Midland. Uh, story about a man named Ira Yates. True story, as I said. Uh, he was a sheep uh, rancher. He struggled financially. wasn't a very good sheep rancher, I guess. He's about to lose his land. And an oil company came out and said, hey, we want to drill on your land. We think there may be oil there. Well, he let them do that. And fortunately for him that he did, because he also owned the mineral rights. And on October 28, 1926, they discovered the largest oil deposit on the North American continent. Uh, Mr. Yates became wealthy on October 28, 1926. Or did he? Truth is, the oil had always been there. So Mr. Yates was wealthy the day he bought the land. But unfortunately, he struggled and lived in poverty for much of his uh, sheep ranching career. And the reason he did is because he didn't know what he had. And what I want to share with you this morning, I believe for the same reason that Ira Yates lived in poverty, most Christians today live in spiritual poverty because they don't know who they are and they don't know what they have in Christ Jesus. So you may not have ever heard this type of message before, so if you want to throw rocks, that's okay with me. Um, we are all born with a desire to know, have two questions answered. Who am I and why am I here? You ever heard that before? Often that's referred to as our identity and our destiny. Most people live with a misconception of who they are. They really don't know. Our identity has to do with our being. Who am I? How do I see myself? Am I a person of value, of worth? Everybody wants to know they're valuable. Don't you want to know you're valuable? We all like to be considered valuable. Ultimately, we determine our value when our God-given needs and desires are met. And you may not have heard this before, but we all have needs that God gave us. We need to be loved and accepted. We want to be secure and significant and adequate. And when these needs are met, we get a sense of fulfillment. In other words, a sense of life. So then we can function as God intended for us to function. Our purpose has to do with our doing, okay? Why am I here? Do I have something to do on planet Earth? And am I adequate to do it? The great lie of evolution is that we all showed up by accident and there's no purpose for us being here. Probably heard that one before. The world tells us that we get our identity or our value based on our talents, our money, our looks, our associations, our possessions, positions, titles, fame, etc. And these may temporarily seem to uh, fulfill your God-given needs and desires, but ultimately, all of our needs and desires are met in the person of Jesus Christ, who is our life. And then there's nothing wrong with having money or talent or looks or those other things that I mentioned, unless... That becomes a substitute for your source of life. So your identity has to do with your value as a person. Your value, you're valuable because God created you and he loves you. And it's not based on your performance or your possessions. And aren't you glad? 
Romans 5, 8 tells us God demonstrates his love in that while we were, what, yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have, we didn't have to bring anything, and it's a good thing because we didn't have anything to bring. I want you to get this. How you measure up or how you measure up to what you believe makes you valuable is usually what you will determine or use to determine your identity. Let me say that again. I'm going to read it this time. How you measure up to what you believe makes you, a, makes you valuable is usually what you will use to determine your identity. Example, if I believe I'm valuable because I make lots of money or have lots of money, then the more money I make, the more valuable I will think about myself. And that will ultimately become my identity. If it's your looks, then the better looking you think you are, the more valuable you think you are. Anything wrong with those two things? Anybody ever lost lots of money? Anybody ever get old and look in the mirror? You don't look quite the same as you did long ago. Those things will get you in trouble if you put your identity in those things. Whatever makes you feel valuable is what will ultimately control you. Let me say that again. Whatever you believe makes you valuable will ultimately control you. And know this. Satan loves to attack our identity, our value. We're going to read a couple of places in the scriptures this morning uh, that demonstrates that. Uh, We're going to read uh, in Genesis first a couple of uh, verses out of the first three chapters. A little background, and probably everybody in here knows what happens in the first two chapters of Genesis. God created the earth and all that was on it. He created man. He gave us uh, He gave us something to do and made us adequate to do it. At that time, Adam and Eve, God was their source of life. And then he did what? He put them in a garden where he'd planted lots of trees. And he said, they're all pleasant to look at and good for food. But he called Adam and Eve's attention to two, two particular trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did he say about that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Don't eat it, because if you do, you will surely you will surely die. A lot of times I think people think of this as God saying, I'm going to punish you if you eat of this tree. That's not what happened. God was a loving father, and he was warning Adam and Eve not to eat of it, because if you do, you will surely die. It's not up for debate. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Would there be a bottle of water running around anywhere in here? I would, oh, thank you. Now I can speak for two more hours. <laughs> you think I'm teasing. Genesis <laughs> chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we'll pick up there in a little bit. It says, I'm reading now the New American Standard Bible. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field in which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, Has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and then it was a delight to the eyes, 
and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. You all heard that story before. I think that that chapter, the third chapter of Genesis, is the most important chapter in the Old Testament. You all may have your favorites, but there's a lot of things going on there. I'm not going to spend, uh, I don't have time to tell you everything, but I'm going to point out a few things that I think uh, can be a benefit to you. We see, for the first time, a new person enter into the picture, into the garden. A serpent that we know to be who? Satan. Revelation twelve nine. You can write that down and check it out later. Satan is very crafty, as is his scheme. He is a master of putting suggestive thoughts in our mind. And you would do well to understand his scheme that we're going to look at here in just a second because he still uses it today. You know why? Because it still works. We're still falling for it. Several things I'm just going to point out here, and there's a lot more, but Satan insinuates that God might be withholding something from Adam and Eve, or said another way, that Adam and Eve were missing something that they needed to be okay, or perhaps maybe there's something wrong with them. It was a very subtle attack on their identity, on their value. He also makes sin seem not so bad and God seem not so good. Notice, too, that Satan got the woman to focus on something that she didn't have. You ever do that? Nah. If I could just get a new car, if I could just get a better job, if I just had more money, better girlfriend, better boyfriend, better husband, better wife, the enemy always wants us to focus on things that we don't have. Eve was deceived into thinking that there were some benefits that she needed from eating from that tree. Or said another way, she believed that there was something missing in her life that she could, if she would just eat from that tree, then everything would be okay. Matter of fact, it'd be better than okay. She'd be like God. Who could pass up such a deal? Truth is, Adam and Eve were already like God. They were created in his image. The bigger implication here, I think, is that, that the woman could live independent of God. Or said another way, that Adam and Eve could be their own God. We like to be our own God sometimes, don't we? One of the basic beliefs of humanism is that man can function independent of God and has unlimited potential to meet all of his own needs. And also note that the woman was focused on God's prohibition rather than on his goodness. And that's a favorite trick of Satan is to, to get us to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. So what was Satan's solution to Adam's and Eve's problem that really wasn't a problem? He gave them something to do. What was it? It was the one thing that God told them not to do. And we know, as we just read, they ate from the forbidden tree. They chose to believe the serpent rather than to believe God. They just wanted to decide for themselves what was best. In other words, they were acting independent of God. Anybody ever do that? How's that working for you? Doesn't, does it? Might seem to at first. Know this, there's always a reasonable alternative to faith. I'm going to say it again. There's always a reasonable alternative to faith, and your enemy will be quick to suggest one. So now I'm going to jump over into the New Testament, and I want to read in the book of Matthew, starting at chapter 3, 
Just going to read a few verses here. It says in verse 16, After being baptized, Jesus came, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice of the he- out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, just a few verses here. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. I'm going to stop right there. You see what you see what Satan was doing there? Jesus had just been baptized, and he was declared to be the beloved Son, God, who he was well pleased. Then he goes out into the desert, and Satan begins to tempt him. And he says, If you are the Son of God. Was he the Son of God? He was he was casting doubt. And what was he doing? He was trying to get Jesus to do something in both of those cases to prove his true identity. But Jesus knew who he was, and Satan's attacks failed. When you know the truth about who you are, your identity, Satan's attacks against you will also fail if you stand on that truth. So we know, as we said, Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree. Did they die? They did. They died spiritually. Something that that would be helpful, and I didn't know this until just a few years ago. In the Bible, death often, more most often, refers to separation as opposed to non-existence or annihilation. What happened when Adam and Eve ate? They were separated from the life of God in their spirit, and then they experienced that death in their soul, and their body slowly began to die. In other words, all of their life functions were affected. It's also helpful to understand, and this will help you understand a lot of things that are written in the Bible, that God created man to function spiritually, psychologically, and physically. Body, soul, and spirit. You've heard that. I want to I briefly just give you a little bit of information about each one of those. You know about the body, that's easy. You live with that, you see it. Uh, your body is what interacts with the physical environment. It expresses what our soul is experiencing. It needs. What does the body need? Food and water and oxygen and a little sleep every once in a while. Our soul, now that's not quite as easy easy because we can't see it, but our soul is our mind. It's where we do our thinking. Some people, I think, never use that. Our emotions, our feelings, and our will, our choosing. Okay, so our soul is the seat of our personality. We all have a unique personality. That's the way God created us. It's where we, our soul is where we experience either life or death in the moment. And just like our body, our soul has needs. It needs to know, as I already said, our identity and our purpose. It needs to experience love and security and acceptance and significance. All those things that I said a while ago that are our God-given needs. That's where we experience those things. These are what give people a sense of value and purpose. In other words, a sense of fullness or a sense of life. Our spirit, and that's the hardest one of all, 
But our spirit is, it's, that determines our true identity. Our spirit is where we worship and commune with God. What does our spirit need? We're all born separated from the life of God. Our spirit needs the life of God. I believe that God created our spirit for him to dwell there. It's his dwelling place in man. Um, our, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick back up in Genesis here. Back in, I'm going to start in the last, and you can just listen. I'm just going to read a few verses here. Last verse in chapter 2. And when I read this verse years ago, I thought, that just seems so out of context. Why did you put that there? It says in, in the last verse of chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And the man and his woman were both naked and were not ashamed. Do you ever think about that? What is that doing there? He just got through Crete and everything, and he says that the man and the woman were naked and were not ashamed. Before they ate from the forbidden, I need to, before they ate from the forbidden tree, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. Shame in the Bible and even outside the Bible is a result of feeling worthless or devalued. It, conv- it conveys the idea of the wrongness. Of being, in other words, something is wrong with me. I don't measure up. I'm missing something that I need to be okay. Adam and Eve were not ashamed before they ate from the tree, the forbidden tree, because they were experiencing the life of God. They were connected with the life of God, and that and all that that brings—love and acceptance and peace and and joy and fullness. But the first thing they did after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil—remember what it was? I'm going to read it. I'm going to pick up here in verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of God, the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the woman, the man and his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with, gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is, what is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The first thing they did after they ate from that forbidden tree was to do what? They decided that it was right. They were making their own decisions again, and they covered themselves because they were ashamed. Before they ate, they were not ashamed. They were naked, and they were not ashamed. But now they were ashamed. Previously, they had been God-conscious. Now they were self-conscious, exactly. They were more focused on themselves than on God and others. Satan loves to get us to focus on ourselves and doesn't have a lot of problem with that for most people. Since Adam and Eve were now separated from the life of God in their spirit, they experienced death in their soul. That's where we experience life and death in our soul, which and then was manifested as shame, fear, condemnation, insecurity, guilt, self-consciousness, emptiness, and they expressed that through their body. Well, it's the first thing they did. They tried to cover their nakedness due 
to shame and self-consciousness and insecurity. And then they tried to do what? Hide from God. You ever try to hide from God? Hard to do because they were afraid. And then they did what? Blamed others for their shame and guilt. There was a little boy and a little girl, brother and sister, fighting and arguing. And father walked in and said, who started this? The little boy pointed to his sister and said, she did. She hit me back. We love to blame others, don't we? There's a lot of ways we cover ourselves. For me, and the Lord showed me this a few years ago, I always came across as strong and self-confident, even to the point of being cocky sometimes, and, and I still do. I haven't learned to walk in that victory yet. And the Lord showed me that this was a covering for my insecurity. In the moment he showed me that, I knew exactly what he was saying, that he was right. He always is right. I used sometimes argue with him, but I knew exactly. We all have coverings. There's a lot of ways that we cover our shame. But there's no reason to be ashamed if you are in Christ Jesus. So we all show up on planet Earth spiritually dead to God. Okay? We, we, we show up sinners lost before we get out of the womb. It's not because we get out and start make, doing sinful acts. We show up on the planet sinful. And we all struggle with the same issues. Shame, fear, condemnation, insecurity, guilt, self-consciousness. And so we're all born. Our identity then is an identity of shame. And just like Adam and Eve in the garden and Jesus in the wilderness, Satan deceives us into believing that the way we get value, the way we get our identity is by our doing. And although usually unaware, attempting to cover our shame and to prove that we're valuable to ourselves and to others is what controls our behavior. And if you fall for that lie, you will get on a performance treadmill and it'll wear you out and it will not and cannot produce life. I can speak from authority because I was on that performance treadmill for many, many years. Matter of fact, while I was at Ovilla Road Baptist Church, I was doing all the Christian-looking things, and I thought I was doing for the right reason, but I, not, I, I one day realized maybe I'm, I'm not experiencing that life. And the Lord showed me years later that most of what I was doing, I was doing in my own strength, my flesh, which is acting independent of God. Now, people looking on the outside may or may not have been able, been able to tell that, and I couldn't even tell it. I was deceived. But I, years later, when he pointed that out and showed me, one day he told me this. I'm getting way off my notes here. I'm going to get back. I'm almost finished. He told me, he said, I was sitting at home. I have a little office in my home. And I was sitting there. And he said, I don't want you, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to pray, read your Bible, serve me in any way until you know I love you just like you are. You don't have to, you don't have to perform for me. I love you just like you are. I accept you just like you are. And isn't that wonderful? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of bring this to an end. Keys to the victorious Christian life. First song we sang today was what? Victory in Jesus. Here's the key. And, and don't throw anything at me until, you, until I finish. 
Stop trying to live it. We already have the victory. We sang about it. That's okay. Maybe that's true or maybe it isn't. But God's word says, be, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. You cannot live the Christian life. Only one person has ever been able to and will ever be able to, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can live it. And he wants to live his life through us. But we got to stop doing it. We can't live it. If we're, if we're trying to live the Christian life, it will always be done in our own strength, independent of God. The Bible calls that flesh. It says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, talking about the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith in what? Faith in who God says we are, and we are, brother, in Christ. We are in Christ. That is our identity now. When you're born again, you received a new identity. I'm just going to read last page of my notes here, almost, a list of things that happened when you were born again. Most of you know these things, but it's sometimes, if you're like me, you need to hear them again, and you need to hold fast to these things if you want to walk in the victory that we already have. Your old spirit man has been crucified and buried, Romans chapter 6, we're united in Christ that we've been baptized into is death, burial, and resurrection. Not talking about water baptism there. It's a spiritual baptism. That old man that you used to be that had a sin nature has been crucified and buried with Christ and he is not coming back. We no longer have a nature to sin. If we did, when you sin, you wouldn't feel that lack of peace and conflict in you. That's why you feel those things, because that is not your nature now. We have a new nature. Second Peter chapter 1 says, we have become partakers of God's nature. Man, we are completely forgiven of every sin that we ever committed or will ever commit. There's only one payment for sin, the blood slash death of Jesus Jesus' blood. He didn't just cut his arm, let a little blood drop out. He had to actually die on a cross to pay for our sin. There is no more payment left. All of our sins have been forgiven. The enemy will tell you otherwise, and he'll bring them up to you. Guarantee you that. We were also resurrected with Christ. We have a new spirit. We're a new creation in Christ. We have a new heart. We, what we are now was never before. It didn't just get changed a little bit we're completely new we are a new creation we are now free from the power of sin which simply means we don't have to sin now i know what you're thinking well i still do yep most of us do all of us do um, but we now are free cho- to choose not to sin whereas before we were born again we everything we did was sin whatever is not a faith is sin we're free from the law gentiles were never under the law actually We have the life of Christ dwelling in our new spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us and to comfort us. And we're complete in Christ. Which means that all of our God-given needs, love and acceptance and security and significance and all those things that I've been talking about are all met in the person of Christ. 
Christ is now our life, and he wants, us, he wants to live his life through us. God calls us saints. Nowhere in the New Testament are Christians ever called sinners. Look over somebody right now and say, I'm a saint. Say it like you mean it. You mean it? I didn't see you saying that. Are you a saint? <laughs> Where's Pam? I said I was going to pick on her. I see you back there. It says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing means every. Some people I know are always trying to get more blessed, get more blessed. We're already blessed with every spiritual blessing. It says in 2 Peter, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Everything means everything. I know we've talked mostly about our identity, and I said at the beginning that we, we all have a need to know our purpose in life, and I think this is the purpose for all of us. It can be expressed in different ways because we all have different personalities, but I believe the purpose for man is to receive Jesus, the life of Jesus, and to experience that life, and then to allow Christ to express that life in everything that we do and say. All right, now I know I've told you a lot, and I normally like to do this in an interactive way. Uh, I have a website that I started. Uh, the Lord impressed upon me over a year ago. I, I've been writing as the Lord showed me things, and I thought I was going to write a book, and my kids said, Dad, People don't read books anymore. Okay, I do. Well, you're old. Okay. Uh, I think there's that one right there that said it. And I said, okay. And then, and then I was told, that, well, just build a website. And I said, okay. So I, I don't know how to do that. Uh, but I got hooked up with someone did. And right before I was getting ready to roll it out a few months ago, I was told by four or five different people, totally unrelated, the same thing. And when, I, when that happens, I usually think, okay, God speaks to us through other people. I said, they said, uh, Rick, people don't read anymore. They watch videos. I thought, yeah, I'm a writer. I don't watch video. I, I do watch videos sometimes. So I said, okay, if that's what it takes to get the message out, then I'll learn how to do videos. I'm in the process of learning how to do videos. The website is whynotchooselife.com. Uh, I am actually teaching via videos and writing the message of our identity in Christ. And I go through a lot more detail than I'm doing here. So if any of this is of interest to you, there's a lot of other things uh, on the website that I've written. Uh, feel free to go there and, and check it out. And any questions, I'm going to be brave and ask if there's any questions. Somebody's just dying to know about something I said. Uh, all right. Must be a football game on today. I swore off the Cowboys years ago, so... I don't know if they're playing or not. Are they? Okay. It, oh, okay. So we got time for lots of questions. <laughs> I thank you guys for allowing me to be here. I know when your pastor... Oh, there's the website right there. I noticed that picture. Uh, when the pastor doesn't, isn't coming, I know it's real easy to say, you know, I think I'll take this Sunday off. But I hope that what I said that today, I, heard, I hope that the Lord used something that I said to get your attention. So thanks again, and God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, 
we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.